Hey, first of all, wow. First of all, hi, I'm really glad to be here. Are you all glad to be here? Okay. Um, and I'm glad to be here for a couple of reasons. I really like your senior pastor, Todd. I'm the, he's, I like him, I respect him, and I hope you know how fortunate you are to have him, okay? He's just a great guy. And as I always say, that takes care of the introduction Todd wrote. Um, the, if, um, I'm going to actually cover a couple things, and then I am going to dive in and give you an overview of the entire book of Acts. You okay with that? And so first of all, would you get out two things? Would you got these message notes, and it says Acts, and then would you get this out? This says, uh, I'm sorry, would you get out a, where is that thing? Oh, good, here it is. Would you get out, and it's underneath your chair. So have somebody <laughs> dive down there and grab this. This is this whole thing right here is a um, full brochure. I was in, I've spoken three times this weekend already. And I woke up this morning in Palm Springs and to drive here, and I got up really early. People, it was drop-dead gorgeous, not a cloud in the sky. It was already about 65, 68 degrees. It was stunning. And then I drove here. <laughs> How many of you would like to come back with me? Good. Well, this is designed to get you to Palm Springs. And so what happened is this. Well, a few years ago, we began to get really concerned. Matter of fact, rather than read that brochure, look up for a second. I'm going to get you in a minute. I began to get concerned about Christians and Christian churches. Um, 90% of Christian churches in America are stagnant or in decline. Most Christians are the same way spiritually, and they're just not thriving. And so we went, could we come up with a conference that is for pastors, board members, but moms and dads and high school students, could we come up with a conference? And we went, we could if we took seven conferences and put them all in one conference. So we did that in Northern California, called it Thrive, and it blew sky high. Sold, this year's conference up north sold out a year in advance, okay? And literally, people flying in from all over the world for this thing, uh, moms, dads, uh, some business people, bring, people are bringing their small group Bible studies, all that kind of stuff. So what happened is, we went, let's do one in Southern California. Let's do one in February, I mean in March, in Palm Springs, Coachella for Christians kind of a thing. And so, so what we did was we basically went that direction and we thought it will take years before anybody shows up. We thought we'll have 20 people, 50 people, 100, and then it'll grow to thousands like it did up in Northern California. Well, it's only been going three years. I'm going to show you a quick video of last year. This will give you a sort of, if you're going to come, this is sort of what you're expecting. Check this out. What if God's just getting started working in your life? What happens to your inspiration level when you realize the sun's not setting, the sun is rising, and God's going to work, and we haven't even got started yet? Then you end up with inspiration for your home, for your kids, for your family, and for your ministry, and for your future. And um, I have another video I'll show you in a second, but um, that's the kind of feel out there. And then what happens is this, we pretty much bring almost 100 speakers and leaders from all over the world onto one spot so that everybody can experience this kind of thing. And so if you would take this out and you're going to go, what's happening around here? Okay, on the front page, it gives you the date, which is March 26th and 27th. It is in Palm Springs, right on site. Um, Angie, are you here? Okay, uh, everybody, this is Angie Wysocki. Would y'all say hi, Angie? Okay, Angie runs the conference, okay, which is an amazing thing. Angie will be outside at a table so you can register yourself and your small group, whoever is coming with you this year. Um, Angie, thank you. She flew in this morning and is flying back tonight just to get you all connected to this thing. Um, and what happens is we fly in a ton of speakers. And so here is just some of them. Um, Ricky Jenkins, Ephraim Smith. Anybody heard of Chris Brown? Chris Brown, Mark Clark, Lecrae, Glenn Barrett. Yeah. Oh, there are a ton of folks. Anybody here know who Luis Palau is? Yeah, Luis has spoken at Thrive every year. He was supposed to be 
dead two Christmases ago because of cancer. He's still here. And he's a good friend of mine. And he calls me and he's like, hey, just so you know, Thrive's coming and I'm still alive. <laughs> and I said, um, I said, I said, you want to come speak? Yes. So Luis will be there speaking and we'll do a separate section in Spanish for Spanish-speaking people. I mean, he's amazing. And, and then it is seven conferences in one. We have a ton of seminars, almost 70 seminars. On, we got a bit on parenting, grandparenting, all this stuff. And then if you're married, would you raise your hand? If you're married, raise your hand. Okay, way up, way up. Keep it up, keep it up, keep it up. Keep it up if you've ever had a fight. Keep it up if that was today. All right, there's hope, there's hope. The, um, um, and so what we decided to do is we decided to try an experiment because I think we should be strengthening families. Wouldn't you agree? So we decided let's be the only conference in America. People come for this full-on spiritual life leadership conference, and right during it, we have a marriage conference running at the same time. So you get all the sessions, and then during all the seminars, we have a marriage conference, and it isn't very often you get your first pick. My first pick to do this is the best marriage and family people in the world, Paul of Virginia Friesen. And we asked them to come and they said yes. And so Paul of Virginia are going to be leading a marriage seminar during the entire thing. Um, if you don't know who they are, they, they speak almost 50 weekends a year. They've done almost every pro sports chapel. They actually lead a Bible study for the New England Patriots, husbands and wives. Um, they, we'd like them to do that for the Raiders someday. Wouldn't that be a good... Um, and <laughs> And so, um, and so this thing, and, um, and if you would go to the back page, or, or you go to the flap there and just tear it off, okay? Go to the flap and tear it off, and you can fill that out while I'm preaching, and go out to the table afterwards, Angie will get you the, a list of the hotels that are nearby, how to register, how to register yourself, how to register. Now, here's the deal. The price, just look up here for a second, um, the price for everybody else around the country is $249, Okay? If you're here this morning, and we're pretty sure most of you are, <laughs> if you're here this morning, we are going to give you a massive discount. It is not $249 for you. It's $119, okay? Um, you have to register using our code or sign up today here. Um, now, if you're going, I'm going to bring my small group, my friends, my office, a bunch of people, or my kids, if you can, you can register, you can register t five to ten people, for only $99 each, which is insane. You, if you're bringing 10 or more people, you can sign up for $79 each. The, the only thing you can't do is go and sign up, and then you can't sign up and then put them on Craigslist for more money when it sells out. Um, the other thing is, as married couples, where are you again? We really are interested in strengthening marriages as part of what we do. And so, um, married couples, you can sign up, both of you, for $179. Is that it, Angie? No, it's $169, um, which means everybody else, a couple from, you know, wherever, Wyoming, they're paying $500 uh, because you're in this church, you're paying $169. You can argue which one of you is the only $69 person later. Um, and here's, here's what I want to say about this. Um, the fun thing about this is you get to put a few thousand people in a, in a place and unleash worship and unleash some of the best communicate. And I believe this, if you will give God two days to work in your life, you will be a better mom, better dad, better husband, better father, better employer, better employee. You will love and lead better the rest of the year just by putting yourself, I just trained 12 CEOs of a corporation in Sacramento and I drilled this in them. Nothing great happens through you until it happens in you. And this is a chance to put yourself in a place with a couple thousand Christians from all over the world to let God do some amazing things in you and then through you and in your marriage, all this stuff. The other fun thing is this. We do a lot of screwing around at Thrive. You never know what in the world's going to happen. So just to give you a snapshot of what it feels like to be there, this is a, another quick video. It's about a minute long. Um, Albert Tate. Anybody know who that is? Albert Tate has just finished preaching. He has gone after it. A guy, Ephraim Smith, from our staff, who you need to bring here to speak sometime, Ephraim comes out, and Ephraim is just going to make announcements. Well, Albert decides he's going to mess with Ephraim. They're friends. And Albert gets a little more than he bargained for. Check this out. I said the 
away. Man, you ain't ready for that. Come on, come on, tell them about the light. What does the light do? Come on, tell what does the light do? It shines in the darkness, brother. How do you know it shines in the darkness? Because I've seen it for myself. I'm a witness. Tell me about how you saw it. He wants to do this for real, don't he? I, I don't know about you, but I've seen the lightness in my life. There was darkness in my life. And when the light came, it moved it away. What did it do in your life? I've been in some dark places. Uh -huh. I've had struggles with darkness in my own soul. But I met the one who is the light, who was the word in the beginning with him, and nothing came into being without him. And he was there when God looked into nothingness and darkness and said, let there be light. And it was. And the light dwelt among us. His name is Jesus. He's the wheel in the middle of the wheel. He's the son of God. Some say El Shaddai. Some say Prince of Peace. Some say Alpha, some say Omega. I call him Savior. I call him Lord. I call him Jesus. I call him only begotten Son. But whatever you call him, you ought to call him into your situation right now. Let him transform you. Let him empower you. Let him turn your life around. And next time you call me out here, you better be ready for me. <laughs> That's the kind of stuff that happens there. And let me tell you one of the reasons I'm concerned about this. 90% of Christian churches are stagnant or declining. Most Christians don't make the maximum impact they could. And re really the reason is this. The vast majority of Christian parents, grandparents, and adults are uninspired. They're living uninspired lives. They're faithful but discouraged. And I actually have a concern. If you're over 30, and there's got to be somebody in here, raise your hand. If you're over 30, raise your hand. I have a concern about, about those of us that are on this side of 30. One of the main problems in the Christian church and its influence in America is this. Most Christian adults, the longer they're a Christian, they don't get more inspired, they just get more opinionated. And the la would you agree the last thing America needs, our church is packed with uninspired, opinionated, angry people. Would you agree with that? Okay. And so we have put together two days to raise your inspiration level. All God's people said? Amen. Amen. Good. We actually have armed guards. You cannot go to your car without registering. Now, if you've, got a, if you've got a Bible, grab your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 1. And as you're turning that, here's what I want to say. And by the way, y'all ready for an avalanche content dump? Here we go. The book of Acts follows the four Gospels, and that is Matthew, Luke, and John, George Paul Ringo. Then that's followed by Acts. Who wrote the book of Luke? Very good. Who wrote the book of Acts? Luke. Very good. It's, it, and so here's the theme. The book, the Gospels have one message. Here it is. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. The book of Acts has a message. Jesus is still alive in his people. He's alive in his people. And the problem with that is this. Jesus is alive, and he wants to be alive in his people, so why is it most churches feel so dead? And it's because they are not following the prescription. The book of Acts is the only book in the Bible that actually outlines itself. How many chapters are in the 28-chapter book of Acts? 28, okay? You know the book of Acts? Chapter 1, verse 8, we got it right here. Chapter 1, verse 8 describes, it literally is, here's the outline to the book. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and here it is. You will be my what? We'll come back to that, and here's the outline of the book. You will be my witnesses, first in Jerusalem, then in Judea and Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the world. Now, Jerusalem, that's their city. So here's what he said. You, Trinity, you will be my witnesses in Redlands, and then in California, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth, Fresno. Now, the, <laughs> and so 
I actually put an outline of the book of Acts, so you'll get it here. And so it's on your outline here. The first, he says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's chapters 1 to 7, and the church is established in Jerusalem. It is born, it is tested, and it is strengthened. All I have, first seven chapters. Then 8 to 12, the persecution hits, and the gospel explodes to Judea and Samaria. And this is important. The gospel is spreading. Number two, it is? multiplying. Number three, it is changing lives. And number four, it is breaking traditions. Now, see those four things right there? That's what should be happening in this church. The gospel, the Jesus, being alive, Jesus should be so alive in here. What happens is this church is spreading, and then it's multiplying, and then it's changing lives, and it's also what? Nobody wants to say that one in church. Breaking traditions, okay? Why is it that in the New Testament, traditions were broken? And in America, we like to make more of them. Why is that? And why is it we follow a guy who said you are following, you are following, you are not following the commands of God, you've replaced them with the traditions of men. Why is that? And because God wants to do some new things in every generation, okay? And, but, and then you go to the next one. The gospel expands, and then the gospel explodes. The witness is extended, received and rejected, changing lives, and unifying. Now, the first 12 chapters have a leader, and it's the apostle who? The apostle Peter. Is the first 12 chapters is Peter. Now, Peter is coming off of a colossal public failure. Raise your hand if you have ever failed at anything. Good. You qualify for Christian leadership. There you go. Now, 13 to 28, it's the Apostle Paul. They have a city impact. The middle section is national impact. The third section is worldwide impact. Three missionary journeys are chapter 13. Now, I just got to ask one question. The gospel absolutely explodes. For example, look up here. In Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, most Bible scholars believe in 25 years, the church in Jerusalem grew to 100,000 people. So 25 years later, First Baptist of Jerusalem had a first service and second service, 50,000 people each one. You know what's mind-blowing about that? The population of Jerusalem at that point in time is only about 200,000 people. They early church led half their city to faith in Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it be great if this church led half this city to faith in Jesus Christ? Half the kids, half the teenagers, half the married people, that would be phenomenal, okay? Here, and by the way, you're going, well, we're just a smaller church, we don't have much, all of this kind of stuff. Go to the next page in your outline and check this out. The early Christians, what didn't they have? Number one is, they reached their world, and here's what they didn't have. They didn't have financial backing. They didn't have great buildings. They didn't have organizational structures. They didn't have a stable economy. They didn't have competent government. Neither do we. They didn't have a supportive media. Neither do we. They didn't have coffee. <laughs> Who's already had coffee this morning? Yeah, they didn't even have coffee. They had no church potlucks, no flannel graphs, no PowerPoint slides, and they reached their world for Jesus Christ. And check this out. What they did have was impact. 120 people took the gospel to 32 countries, 54 cities, nine islands, all the way to the capital of the world at that point in time, Rome. That happened with a little band of people who got passionate. And I just want to ask one question. I believe this. The way God worked then is the way God works now. Would you agree? The way God worked then is the way God worked now. We started a church in Northern California, and the pattern for our church, we have tried to follow the book of Acts. Because at some point, we got to ask a question. Let me ask you a question. Okay, Trinity, your church has a future. Bayside Church has a future, hopefully. Um, who should tell us, if we're going to decide what should our church be like, where should we get that information from? The, yeah, here's the problem. These days, a lot of American churches are shaped by culture. So culture tells us what to do and what we can't say and can't say. And so a lot of churches are, re, they're basically going, whoa, the Bible says some stuff about sex, that's not political, so I'm going to throw that out. You cannot throw the Bible away while representing God. 
literally changing our theology is a bad evangelism. So we can't let culture tell us what the church should be, right? Okay. We also can't let seminary, you know, Master's Seminary, Fuller Seminary, uh, my son just graduated from Talbot Seminary, seminary should not be able to, Christian leaders should, Billy Grant can't tell us what the church should be like. John MacArthur should have no say in what your church is like, okay? Um, pick somebody else, Chuck Smith, Calvary Chapel, should have no say. You know, we cannot listen to human beings or culture or educational institutions if you want to know what the church should be like and how effective, and if you want to represent God, we get that information from one and only one place, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is the Word of God itself. Got that? So I just want to ask, I'm going to come out swinging, is that okay? I just want to ask and answer one question today, and that question is this. The early church exploded. They changed lives, literally transforming society. Why did they have such impact, and can that happen here today in California in a church? You all ready for this? They did three things in the early stages of the book of Acts that we have got to get back. And number one, you all ready for this, by the way? I'm going to ask that one more time, you caffeinated people. Are you all ready for this? Good. Number one, the early church had a passion to share the good news. The early church had a passion to share the good news. And you can see that early on here. Acts chapter 4, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. Later in this passage, they are speaking to the leaders, the religious leaders. However, what's consistent is this, whether they're speaking to the people or they're speaking to leaders, they have one message, and here it is, okay? Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, this is the man who stands before you healed, and he says this, the stone you builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and the message of the early church is, look to Jesus, go to Jesus, follow Jesus, it is all about Jesus Christ, okay? That's the early church. They had a message, and here's the message for you and I, you Check it out. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my. Circle the word witnesses, turn to the person next to you, and say, be a witness. Nobody likes hearing that. They're like, ooh, that's that creepy thing, and everybody turns everybody off, all of that kind of stuff. Notice what, and I'm going to talk about that. Just look up here for a second. Notice what that does not say. It does not say, you will be my defense attorney. It does not say, you will be my prosecuting attorney. Now, go criticize every non-Christian in the world. Are you guys frustrated by the Christian Taliban and how negative they are? There are Christians, they're known for what they're against, not what they're for. Okay? Notice it does not say this, you will be my slick salesman. No, it says, you will be my witness. Well, all a witness does is say, this is what I experienced. It's awesome. You can have it too. That's what a witness does. Here's what I saw. Here's what I heard. Here's what I experienced. The easiest thing in the world. Maybe the best, and, but why is it most Christians don't do this? Because I don't think they know what a good deal we have. For example, I want you to imagine this. The service is over, okay? And you, go get, you actually are walking to the parking lot to get in your car, and you hope nobody sees you because you're so embarrassed about your car. And you get into your car, and it kind of rattles out of here, and you go, and you go out on the street, and there's a stoplight, okay? And you stop at the stoplight, and you actually have a hat on so nobody will recognize you because you're sitting at that stoplight in this car, your car. And your car is a 1971 Ford Pinto, okay? The, um, and, and, you're, you're, and by the way, how many of you, oh, watch this, how many of you own one of these cars? Look around, look around, okay? <laughs> yep. The, how many of you, uh, well, let me ask this. What, if, for those of you that are younger, if you're going, what is a Ford Pinto? It was one of the 10 worst cars ever made, <laughs> along with this car, the Gremlin, very good, along with this car, the Chevy Vega, and along with the weirdest, ugliest car ever made, the, the Pacer. How many of you had one of those? Anyway, you're sitting at the stop sign in your Pinto. Smoke is belching out the back. It is rattling. You're hoping nobody sees you. You're just trying to get home, getting a, and up, you're just sitting there, and up, you hear it coming. 
you're this rumbling noise, and up next to you pulls this car. A brand new Lamborghini, 571 horsepower, cost $272,000, top speed, 202 miles an hour, and that pulls right up next to you in your Pinto. And all of a sudden, you glance over and you look back because now you're really embarrassed. And then all of a sudden, you hear this. And the door to the Lamborghini's opened up. And you glance over because you... And the guy's looking right at you. And you lock eyes. And then he gets out. And he walks around the back of your car. Gets all covered with soot. And then he comes up to your window. And you're like, I don't want to talk to this guy. And he knocks on the window. And you look out and he goes, see so you go to roll the window down. The handle falls off in the car. <laughs> so you crack the door open. <laughs> it cracks open. You look up and you go, yeah. And he goes, is this your car? Yeah. And he goes, well, I just bought that car brand new. Totally paid it off. I mean, I paid cash for it. He goes, but here's the deal. I looked over and I felt compassion for you. And I, I got this amazing car. He said, um, how about we do this? Right now, I will give you my fully paid off Lamborghini for your Ford Pinto right on the spot. Keep it for the rest of your life. Deal or no deal. How many of you are taking this deal? You bet. You're all going, absolutely, I'm taking this deal. Are you kidding me? The, um, now, some of you are going, what in the world does that have to do with God? Everything. Everything. It's a much better deal. Okay? Heaven is a much better. What good is a Lamborghini to a dead guy in heaven forever? Okay? And you look at that kind of thing. You're just going to, and God looks down and says, I seen you in your pinto-like condition. And I will exchange my son. You get complete forgiveness and out of debt spiritually forever. I'll exchange the perfection of my son for your imperfection. Want to trade? Deal or no deal? Deal. Okay. Or you get home today. Your phone rings. You answer it. And it's Bill Gates from Microsoft. And Bill Gates says, hey, I just was thinking about it. I'd like to make an exchange with you. I will give you Microsoft billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars in exchange for your hot dog stand in Ukaipa, deal or no deal? How many of you have taken that deal? Absolutely, every single time. And when you think through that a little bit, you're going, you're, no, all of you in here are thinking, number, number one, you're thinking two things. Number one, that would never happen, and that's probably true. Number two is you're thinking, but if it did happen, I would take both those deals right on the spot. The deal that God offers every human being is better than that. Lamborghinis are useless to a dead guy forever, and I can guarantee you when we get to heaven, we will not have Microsoft Windows. We will have Macs. The, um, <laughs> and... What I'm here to say is this, you and I have what the Bible calls the gospel. We have the good news of Jesus Christ. We are supposed to share that good news. And most Christians, literally, the Bible says this, you are a witness of Jesus Christ. That's, why are you still here? Why aren't you dead? You're still here because there's only two things you can't do in heaven. One is sin. The other is share your faith. Which one of those two reasons do you think God's left you here? No question about it. Which means this, wherever you are, wherever you are, you are an ambassador for Jesus Christ. You are there to be a witness for Jesus Christ. You go to lunch today. You're there not just to get food, but as God's representative. You are there. So I get a chance. I travel and speak a lot, okay, which means I'm with a lot of Lyft drivers, and which means every time I catch a Lyft driver, I may, maybe God wants to work in their life. Maybe they're open to Christ. So for example, I fly in and out of Ontario a lot. And so I got picked up um, last year by a 21-year-old Lyft kid. And he starts talking, and I said, what are you doing? He goes, I'm a student, blah, blah, blah. So we're, we're talking and laughing. And then he goes, what do you do? And I said, by the way, this will start a conversation every time. I said, I pastor a church for people who don't like church. And he goes, what the hell is that? <laughs> and I said, I, I told him, I said, well, I told him about our church. And, but then I said this, I said, we, um, we believe this. The central message of the Bible is it's not about religion and it's not about rules. And it's not about rituals. It is you can have a 
relationship with a living God. And when that relationship starts up, man, you get God working. Anything's possible in your future. He says, I have no idea how I would start that relationship. He says that to me. We're pulling up to the Ontario thing, curbside, and I go, you got 90 seconds? He goes, yeah. I whip out a piece of paper, and I draw two circles on the piece of paper. I put a cross on the outside of one circle. I put a cross on the inside of the circle next to it, okay? And then I go, this person doesn't have a relationship with God because Christ is on the outside, and they've never invited him in to have that relationship. This person is a Christian. This person has got a relationship with God because Christ is on the inside, which means God's actually, you're never alone. He's with you. He's working in your life. And I said, and, and anything's possible when you get God in your life and Christ in your life. And I looked at him and go, so dude, which circle are you? He goes, that one. I said, which circle do you want to be? Points to the one with Christ in his life. I said, if you're comfortable, we can pray right now and you can, that can happen. He goes, good. So we pray right there in his lift car at Ontario Airport, and he prays and receives Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord, okay? Got him some follow-up material, all that kind of stuff. You can share in a rest. You can share in a lift. You, can, you don't have to turn people off to turn them on to God. Does that make sense? This is a really big deal. So we actually, we believe this so strongly in church, we deputize our people all the time. Okay? Like we literally, we, we started a new church called Bayside at Blue Oaks, and it was about 10 minutes away from our campus, and we started that, and a bunch of people were up there. So the first week, we said, you can't invite anybody. And so we gave them all, we gave them all a box of 100 Your Invited cards. And we literally said, everywhere you are, you have one week to get rid of all 100 cards. Give them to waiters, give them to waitresses, give them to, every, give them to neighbors. Invite. You, know, you are God's representative and just invite them to come. Okay. Now, I've also had people go, well, we're not supposed to bring people to church. We're supposed to go out and share the gospel. You know, I used to think that was true until I read this verse. Jesus said, by this, all people will know that I am real by your love for one another. I thought, how can they see that? I have hauled more people into church, and they all walk out going, man, I want what these people have. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so we, we literally said, you got, we gave everybody a box, a 100-year invited cards, deputized them, and said, ready, set, go. Let God use you with people far away from God. You know what happened is, the next week, the church stopped traffic on the freeway, okay, which is easier here than there, okay? And people have met Christ in record numbers up there. And this, to me, is a really, really big deal, people. There, we are here because people need God. Would you agree? And I want to make a comment here because this is, you've got to say this if you're in any Bible-believing church. You're a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. So is mine, okay? And here's the problem is this. Every time people, we're actually okay, and the minute we start leading people to Christ, all these Christian Pharisees, then they try to label you as a seeker church. You know, does anybody know what I'm talking about here? Okay, and so what happens is this. Jesus, Jesus said these words, his words, not mine. Jesus said, I have come to seek and save the lost. Well, I'm convinced if he started a church in Ukaipa, and Jesus started seeking and saving the lost in that church, all the Christian Taliban would run around and go, don't go to that church. Jesus is too shallow. Come to our church because we're deeper. You are not deeper if you are not leading people to Christ. Does that make sense? You are deeper when you live like Jesus, love like Jesus, look like Jesus. You are deeper when the Word of God and the love of God are both flowing through you. Does that make sense? This is a really, really big deal. We give invitations at the end of every message every week in our church because people, we're, not, we're, we're not a secret church, neither are you. We teach the Bible, we really worship, okay? However, somehow that is attractive to unchurched people and they are becoming Christians in record numbers. Number one is this, a passion to share the good news of Jesus Christ. The second thing, the second reason the church exploded is this, the power of prayer. The power of prayer. You can write this down. 48 times, 48 times in the book of Acts, it says they prayed. Here's the results of them praying. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, but they were astonished and took note these men had been with Jesus. What he's saying here is this. You cannot do this on your own power. 
You are going to need the power of God. Only when God's doing good things in you can he then do good things through you. And then a passion to share the good news, the power of prayer, which goes with the third point. Here's, they had a lifestyle of courage. They had a lifestyle of courage and passion and purpose, okay? And they actually lived that. It says this, when they saw the courage of Peter and John. Because the early church changed their world. Write this down. The early church changed their world. How do you change the world? Not by criticism of that. By the way, do you know any Christians that feels like the only spiritual gift they have is the gift of criticism? Oh, people, I'm a pastor. We have eight sites up there. Our church has exploded. Uh, last year, Outreach listed the fastest growing church in America. And we are a, we are a worshiping, Bible-teaching, conservative evangelical church, just like yours. And, um, and I get angry emails from toxic Christians every week. It's crazy out there. And the early believers did not change their world by having the grift of criticism, okay? The second is this, not by conformity to it. I love this. The sign of the Christian church, the signs of the Christian church have always been the lion, the lamb, the dove, the fish, but never the chameleon. And we have to have enough courage these days to say we are standing on the Word of God and we are not changing the Word of God. A good motto for every church is this. Our goal is to love everybody without sacrificing our convictions. That makes sense? And it's not by criticism, not by conformity, but by living with courage in it. And would you look up here for a second? I want to tell you a story, and this is the embarrassing story. Todd said, you got to tell that story. And I went, oh, thanks a lot. Um, this is an embarrassing story to tell you. Um, I have the gift of worrying and zero courage generally. Raise your hand if you're good at worrying. Raise your hand if you assume everything's going to go wrong. Okay? Uh, Raise your hand if you're a Raider fan. That'll explain it all. Um, and, and so I, I am, I'm just wired that way. I was a professor at Trinity Divinity School and a couple other places in Chicago. And then we, we moved back to California. Carol and I wanted to get our four kids near our, um, wanted to get our four kids near their grandparents. And so we moved back. We moved to Folsom, California. Anybody know what that is? Yeah, my wife was on parole, so that was handy. <laughs> Kidding. And so we moved to Folsom. And um, we started a Bible study in our loom. And this Bible study grew in, so we sent off a church. I did not want to be a pastor. Called in a pastor, sent this church off, and that's the church up there today. Then, a few months later, some people from a town called Granite Bay. Granite Bay is a strategic place. It's the wealthiest town in the whole area up there. Um, all the, if you live with, play for the Sacramento Kings, you probably live there, all this stuff. So um, some people came to, in Granite Bay and said, we need to start a church in Granite Bay. Ray, would you be the pastor and start this church? And I said, no. You know that verse that says, Lord, here am I, send somebody else? I applied that verse. But these people didn't take no for an answer. They bugged us at six months. Bugged us, bugged us, bugged us. I got a fax one time. Any remember those? And it said, Dear Ray, from God, direct message from heaven, plant the stupid church. I mean, they bugged us for six months. And I kept saying, no, no, no. Now, and this is embarrassing to tell you all. I never had the guts to tell them why I didn't want to plant the church. And the reason I didn't want to plant this church is this. I was afraid. I was afraid of everything. I was afraid we'd try to start a church and nobody would come. I was afraid we'd try to start a church, and Christians would come, but they'd be angry. I was afraid we'd try to start a church, and, you know, people would come, but no help would come. I was afraid we'd try to start a church, people would come, help would come, but then we'd have to raise money and build a building, and I did not want to talk about money. I did not want to raise money. I didn't want to build a building. I, I, was, I was literally afraid of everything, especially we'd start a church. My number one fear was this. we try to start a church, and nobody comes. And then I'll feel like a failure and all this kind of stuff. And so I didn't have the guts to tell him that. I just kept saying, the Lord hath not called his servant Ray to do this. And they bugged us so much. They were for six months. Finally, I said, look, I took the coward's way out. I said, okay, here's the deal. It takes four stages to launch a church. 
I'll take you through the first two stages, then we will call in a pastor. I'll coach you, but we will call in a pastor, and then off you go. And I literally looked at him and said, but under no circumstances will I be the pastor of this church. I think God loves it when we tell him what we're not going to do. And, and so we actually, we, so we go, okay, let's do it. And literally, I was like, because this, this church, there's no need. It's not going to happen. So what happens is we do a prayer. I'm going to found it in prayer, point two. So we do a prayer meeting. 24 people show up to the prayer meeting, okay? And it was okay. Then I'm, I'm walking to my car with another guy, and he goes, what do you think? And I said, 24 people can't launch anything, and this isn't going to happen. So we're like, okay, let's do another prayer meeting, and hopefully it'll skyrocket. So a month later, we do another prayer meeting, and it skyrocketed to 26 people. <laughs> so at the end of that, I go, I don't think there's a need for this church. Let's try a test service and see what happens. So we named the church. We named it Bayside, almost named it Baywatch. Went with Bayside, and that was probably wise. And then we rent, get this, our very first service. We were, let's try a test service and just see if anybody shows up. We didn't even plan any. We just said one service, one and done. Nobody's coming. I won't have to do this. So we rent the Granite Bay Tennis Country Club in Granite Bay. And they have an upstairs room. It's a fancy place. They have an upstairs room, and it holds about 100 people. Okay, so it's about the size of just that little deal over there. And so what happens is um, I arrive. Well, I have no faith about anything. So I arrive, and there's 100 chairs set up. Like well, take down 50 of them so it'll look full when only 45 people are there. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So it starts raining. Mr. Faith here, I take down another row of chairs. I have no explanation for this. Okay, 162 people show up. We put back up all the chairs I took down. We go, what do we do? Right down the steps in the back of this room is the lobby of the country club. They had the big screen TV. We unplugged the NFL. We plugged in our service, got a video camera up there. I go down halfway through the service to apologize to these people who haven't been able to make it up. And here's what I see. In the, there's like 50 people sitting in the lobby of this country club. And this sharp-looking 50-year-old Granite Bay woman is sitting in an overstuffed chair, drinking cappuccino by a roaring fire on a rainy day, watching our service on big screen TV. And she said, I like this church. Great. Thank you very much. You're gracious. So I go back up, and we're pretty simple. We just, at the, I literally go, we worship. I taught the Bible, Ephesians chapter 2. But at the end of that message, I give a... I just think, I'm going to give an invitation. I hadn't planned it. I just felt like God said, give an invitation, because I don't think a lot of these people are Christians, because they were pretty sharp looking. So I, <laughs> so I give a crystal clear invitation, and get this, half the hands in the room go up at our very first service of people, praying that they indicated they've prayed and received Christ as their Savior and Lord, at our very first service. Couldn't believe it, Okay. So the problem is this, at the end of that service, at the end of that service, I have to get up and say this, hey, thanks for coming. <laughs> we don't have a church. Um, it was like, just kidding. And I, so out there, I just go, we'll do this again in a month. A month later, we go down the street and Eureka School. Well, I arrive and there are like 150 chairs set up. So I take down, I think, no, 100 people are coming back. That's it. So I take down 50 chairs. 226 people come to the second service. We put up all the chairs I took down, set down, all this kind of stuff, and we do the same thing. We worship. We teach the Bible, give an invitation, a sea of people become Christians. They raise their hands, indicate they've done that. I get up, thanks for coming. We don't have a church. We'll do this again in a month. A, once a month church was awesome, by the way. No, I'm kidding, Todd. Um, the, um, and the second service is over. This pandemonium, people meet in Christ all over the place. Well, I leave that service, and I go, I don't even go home. I go straight to the airport, and I fly to Chicago to a prayer summit, and I go to a three-day prayer summit of a thousand Christian leaders in Chicago at the Hyatt O'Hare Airport Convention Center, and I have never been the same since. It's the second night in this prayer meeting. It is a late night. Anybody here ever been in a prayer meeting? Let me see. Anybody? Todd, we better do a prayer meeting. The, um, um, it's the second night of this prayer meeting. And to be honest with you, it's like, I'm, I'm in like this, it's, I've been praying for two and a half hours, a thousand people in a small room. It's this prayer meeting. And to be really honest with you, man, I am prayed out. Okay? I mean, I'm making up stuff at this point and praying for it. You know, I'm, I'm to that stage in prayer. I'm going, Lord, bless my children's, grandchildren's pets. You know, I'm to that point in prayer. And then I think, wait a second. I should pray for Bayside, 
that God would give it the right pastor quick, because this church is going to happen. I mean, that second service is too. And I'm literally, I'm literally thousand pastors in a room. I'm praying, God, please, I got this Bible. I'm praying, God, you know, and I'm telling God stuff. I'm going, you know, Lord, the harvest is ripe and the laborers are few. Matter of fact, you said that. And then you said, pray to the Lord of the harvest. So I am. We need the right. And I'm going, God, we need a pastor for that. We need him soon. And then I am so kind of prayed up. I'm going, and God, I know the guy's in here. So I'm going, if the guy's in here, light him up, levitate him. I'll go talk to him. And this has never happened to me before. It has never happened to me since. I don't like it when pastors get up and go, God is telling us to do this because you can't argue with them. I trust the Bible, not myself. But this has never happened to me. While I'm praying that God would give Bayside the right pastor, God crystal clear said to me at like 11 o'clock at night, crystal clear said to me, read Acts 18. Right while I'm praying. I go, and it says, the Lord said to Paul in the night, which this was, by a vision, which this is starting to feel like, the next words changed my life. Do not be afraid. And my first thought, to be honest with you, is, oh, no, I do not want to do this. I'm going to keep reading. It's got to be a loophole. So <laughs> it says, do not be afraid for I have many people in this city. And God said to me, if you do this, I will rally people to help you, which was my number one fear. Now, what you don't know is this. This is in Sacramento area. We're from the Bay Area. We had kept our home in the Bay Area. We were moving back. I'd already been back to, I'd already been back to the Bay Area to plan our move until I read the next irritating verse, which says... Paul stayed where he was and taught the Word of God. I start crying. I walk out of a prayer meeting. I go to the elevator. I go to the sixth floor to call my wife to find out if I've heard from God or not. <laughs> Any husbands know what I'm talking about? And I tell her the whole story. She'd already started a Bible study in Granite Bay. It was exploding with women. The wife of the coach of the Sacramento Kings at that time was coming. All this amazing stuff. And she starts crying on the phone. And when she composed, she said, I knew God was telling us to do this. i just been praying for you that God, you know, would make it real obvious. <laughs> How many wives know what she was talking about? And, and people, I have never done anything anything like this in my life. Literally, I went, I'm quitting everything, and we're doing this. This is, I'm called to do this against all fears. And I'm here to tell you, here's what happens is, I go, I go home, and um, I go home, and the next week, a nearby Christian school calls us, and the school goes, hey, the principal's a Christian. Hey, I've been praying for your new church. Would you like to use my school? That's a miracle in California. We go in there, it's the ugliest elementary room you've ever seen in your life, okay? It's lime green, ugly, split P walls, holds 300 people. As a matter of fact, in about a month, the thing fills up. I watch a guy walk in, couldn't find a seat, walked out. We've never seen him again. So at the end of the service, I got up and said, hey, in two weeks, we're going to two services. We're, we didn't have a church board, so you could get stuff done. So we go to two services. I'm kidding. We go to, then we go to three services, okay? Then we're out of space. God has Granite Bay build a brand new $34 million high school. It explodes from there. Today, literally 26 people has turned into over 20,000 people, leadership conference, all that kind of stuff. And for me, the, my favorite part, the last 10 years, I have seen God blow my mind, answer more prayers. We have relatives we have been praying for for 30 years, meet Christ in our services. We have had teenagers rescued out of suicide. I know five marriages at Bayside where they were already divorced and are back together with their kids attending our church. I have never seen anything like it. All four of our kids have met Christ in our church, made commitments to ministry and service in our church, and two of the four are now off parole, so I'm feeling better about it. The, um, all, I have the last, I don't know how to describe this, people, the last 10 years of my life have been shocking, stunning, miracle. I have been more blown away by what's happened in the last 10 years, and the reason I'm telling you that story is this, I almost missed the best 10 years of my life. I almost missed the best thing God would ever do in me, for me, and through me. I almost missed the entire thing for one reason. 
Fear. Fear. I'm going to give you a, Meth, the band wants to come up. I'm going to give you a definition of fear. This is worth writing down. Y'all ready? Fear is the dark room where negatives develop. Fear is the dark room where negatives develop. That little phrase in the Bible, fear not, it is there 365 times. There is one for every single day. And if on the authority of God's word and those three, I just want to say to you, stop being afraid. Start sharing your faith. Start getting involved. Start tithing. Start sharing your faith. Just don't be afraid. And here's what I want to close with. Just look up here. Pastor to person. Here's what I want to say. If you're here this morning and your heart's beating a little faster, because there's been something, and you know God's been tapping on your heart. There's been something God's calling you to do. Somebody God's calling you to share with. Somebody God's calling you. Something God's calling you to give or start. Or there's something God's been calling you to do, and you're a little afraid to do it. You just might be on the first day of the best next 10-year run of your life. That happened to me, it happened in Acts, and it can happen to you. Thanks so much for listening. Um, we love you guys, appreciate you. And um, and we're going to close with worship. If you're registering for Thrive View, your small group or wherever, we, Angie will be at that table out there. You just walk straight out and go to the left. But I want to say this, as you stand today in worship, don't just sing this stuff. Let your heart connect to God. Let His Spirit work in you. And let God's work in you continue during this worship time. So let's all stand.